2: It's Jim Kramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action.
1: Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Kingtonia with Jim Kramer. David Faber is on assignment. Futures under pressure once again as these Ukraine headlines feed tension and are not enough to offset Some decent results from Walmart, Cisco, DoorDash. EcoData also a challenge for the bulls as claims, starts, and Philly Fed all miss 10 years below two. Our roadmap begins with Walmart shaking off some of those inflationary headwinds and posting stronger sales in the holiday quarter. Watching Cisco and NVIDIA both delivering some good guidance but seeing opposite investor reaction. And DoorDash shares are surging. The food delivery company reporting some record highs on user numbers. We're going to start, though, with the markets and with these Ukraine headlines. Jim, we're going to go right back to yesterday's lows.
2: Yeah, I think it's important that people keep track of the winners today because they're going to be overlooked because of Ukraine. Now, I have been suggesting that it has to be a deal between Ukraine and Russia, and it has to happen now. And what's, it's two phases. One is Ukraine has to say, listen, we are not going to join NATO, but you have to get the militias out of our country. We are everywhere. And you got to take the... the Military off the borders. I think people are misinterpreting some things here. Uh, Kiev is 236 miles from the border uh, of of Russia. It's only 90 miles from Belarus. It would take, if you use the speed of 40 miles a day, which is the typical of what the Russians have been capable of, they'll be there in two days. Which means if they launch today, they'll be there Sunday. And I think people don't understand that uh, either Ukraine surrenders or uh, Ukraine is taken over. Ah. And it's going to happen by, by Sunday. Well, that,
1: that's exactly why the, uh, the NATO secretary general this morning said that they have all the tools in place to launch a full-fledged invasion with little to no warning. Yes. Uh, these, these reports of shelling at the kindergarten are, are concerning. The defense secretary here says uh, that not only are they inching closer to the border, they're stocking up on blood. And we are nearing the, fe- the 20th of February, end of the Olympics, which some had sort of marked as a, a date of interest. Yeah, well, somehow. you were
2: in uh, the Socio-Olympics, and then they invaded uh, Crimea. This is, would be the completion of this. Now, people have to understand that they're there, the Russians are there, uh, and so it's really important for Ukraine— to admit that it's not going to NATO. That is what the Russians really care about. But I don't know what you do. I think people just are misinterpreting the idea that there's going to be a full-fledged war uh, because Ukraine doesn't have the ability to wage war even for a day. And so this has all got to be diplomatic or it's just going to be a fait accompli. And then I guess, obviously, we're going to see what the Germans do in terms of uh, energy. Uh, That could be an issue. But this is going to be over very fast. If there is no deal and I'm not calling for appeasement by any means, I'm saying you, that Ukraine has to say the militias much. Le- the militias in many ways are more important than they are. They're there. And I don't understand why people don't get that Belarus is two days, two days from Kiev. So this is going to be over by Sunday if we let them get away with it and if Ukraine doesn't make a deal. Yeah.
1: Uh, Blinken's going to speak at a, a U.N. Security Council at 10 a.m. this morning. We'll be looking for some headlines uh, out of that. Why does why does the market care so much about this particular is it about energy or is it? Well, I think
2: it's about currencies. If, if, if you go back, well, go back to the Biden speech this week, which uh, Will Frost and I were talking about should have been done a month ago. The, the, the note is what what are severe consequences? Severe consequences. Are they military or severe consequences? Are they economic? Uh, could there be a boycott of, of China? In that unbelievable interview with, uh, with Secretary Perry by uh, Brian Sullivan, he remembers that Russia is small. Russia's economy is the size of Texas. You theoretically could shut down the Russian economy if you're willing to have a kind of, let's just say, an unbelievable winter or a final winter. If you, if you get to the spring and this thing's not much of an issue. Well, he
1: loses leverage every
2: day. It gets warmer. Yes, he yep. does. And people don't understand that either. Now, the rubles is stronger than I thought. Uh, but we have to understand that that we in America are watching this, and this could be, as Joe Kernan said, uh, right before 1990 when we invade, uh, we fight back against, uh, 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 we fight back <laughs> against Iraq, and it, it ends very quickly. Unfortunately, this could be the same for the U- for Ukraine right. people. Right.
1: Uh, so, given all of that, how do we process? Good numbers out of Walmart, inventory up, comps pretty good, uh, margins okay? Well,
2: I mean, Walmart did. I mean, if you're looking for negative, I mean, go back and forth with with Doug, with with Doug McMillan. If you go back, you know, there's a chance you could say, well, wait a second, first quarter down, uh, next quarter down. Uh, but that is what they told you beforehand. I like the Walmart call very much because of where, where the stock is. At 143, the stock goes to 139. At 133, the stock goes to 135. Uh, again, the... Doug McMillan is not promotional. Uh, and so what happens is you get all these great headlines. buy back. remember they bought back this much last year. You, you, you've got a sense that they've got everything under control, supply chain. But then Doug is, Doug's basically doesn't ever support the theory of you got to go buy Walmart. And, and so you're not going to get a big move. Do you know that six out of the last seven quarters, Walmart's going down?
1: Yeah, it's not a good earnings print stock. No, um, but take a look at comps. Uh, Walmart U.S. comps up five six. Uh, X Fuel, pretty good on a, on a two-year stack. Uh, Jim,
2: e-commerce is still up seventy. I thought that was very good. You know, look, we all were waiting for Walmart Plus to have this breakout move. I thought the breakout was in Walmart advertising, where you made two billion, and that's two billion. Like that's just found money. But this is a gigantic company, and you come back and you say. I mean, I heard someone say today, very good guy. Say, listen, all people are going to do is look at the chart and say it's the worst one. There's a lot of chart following right now because people are so lost because uh, of Ukraine. They default to charting, and Walmart looks terrible. Mm. I-, I go back and forth with Walmart, and I just think that it just gets better and better, but the stock doesn't.
1: A big part of the debate with Walmart is worries about the low-end consumer. Right. Uh, we're lapping a lot of stimulus. So are they going to rely more on credit cards? B has got some credit card data this morning that argues that even with gasoline— They're still spending on apparel uh, and restaurants.
2: You know, Brian Moynihan is very interesting with the CEO, obviously, of Bank of America. He uh, disagreed with me about restaurants. My theory on restaurants is not that spending's down. It's just that there are fewer restaurants and the spending added is up. We'll be talking to Tony Hsu later today, who has a much better read on restaurants than anyone, CEO of DoorDash. Uh, Restaurant spend is good. Uh, Brian Buenand right, though. It's the, con- the consumer is doing better than we think, which should cut well for Walmart, but it ends up cutting well for Macy's. A little more discretionary. Yeah, yeah.
1: Although we got these carrying uh, Gucci numbers pretty strong. You know. <laughs> uh, Leif Saint Laurent up 47.
2: Well, <laughs> LVMH was up I- in the yeah, high 30s. Yeah. It brought, that made Arnaud. I mean, we talk about the richest men. I mean, Arnaud's the richest people. He's up there. By the way, Elon Musk tweeting that Charlie Munger, didn't wanted to bet against yes. Tesla. Elon Musk is up there as being a wealthy fellow. Yes.
1: Musk has some news of his own this morning. Uh, this with court, the SEC again. This court filing, he says SEC's trying to squelch his right to free speech, Jim, even though he tweeted a Hitler meme last night. That I don't like.
2: Yeah. I didn't like the Hitler meme just because it's very— let's leave Hitler, unfortunately, at you know, unfortunately out of the equation. Now, when you talk about history in 1938 and 39, it's hard not to talk about Germany. But uh, I wish Elon—look, I think Elon's unbelievable. So maybe takes that tweet, Tim. Yeah.
1: Uh, Meantime, tech earnings are a big piece of the puzzle today. We mentioned NVIDIA and Cisco, stronger-than-expected results, some pretty good guidance, but the stocks are moving in opposite directions. We're going to talk with Chuck Robbins of Cisco in the next uh, hour. Uh, 84 cents beats by 3, revenue ahead up 6. The guide, Jim, to the upside,
2: 3 to 5, streets at 3.7. When I speak with Chuck, and we'll speak to him later, the best visibility, basically, the companies ever had. Uh, when Chuck got there, they didn't have any of the megas. They didn't have the alphabets at like Google. They didn't. They 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 didn't have Facebook. They they didn't have any of these guys. And now they have more. Uh, the other thing I would point out is 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 that despite supply chain pressures, they crushed it. And uh, there were some people. There was a guy who downgraded. I'm not going to pick on him but got it so wrong and had a lot of people uh, betting against Cisco. Cisco's a very good quarter and it's multiple quarters. They actually did about 44 billion in rev, but you have to do it ratably. You can't you have to rate the quarter. You can't just say okay, but look, let's do it all one quarter. That's actually the old Cisco. They have a lot of subscription revenue now. They have a lot of software revenue now. It was really a fa- fabulous quarter with a great outlook. And yet it wasn't as good as Nvidia. And yet Nvidia's down. Nvidia started going down. The moment they came out and said business is great. Now, give me a break. NVIDIA is one of those stocks you must remember trades incredibly well right into the speech that Jensen Wong, who, by the way, is the GOAT. He's the GOAT, which means for those people who aren't informed, he's the greatest of all time. Uh, there's no doubt about it that he laid out a vision yesterday that is so 22nd century that it's very hard for people to grasp. Yeah.
1: Uh, people are zeroing in on auto and robotic revenue down a touch.
2: But he came out and said, and then Collette said, uh, no, absolutely, that, that was the one. That, that This is the year of auto. Now they talk about the Jaguar. That's in deference to what Wilf. Uh, Jaguar, uh, Range Rover. What people have to recognize is everyone's going to build on their platform, except for uh, GM is going to build on the Qualcomm platform. Uh, the auto business is going to ramp up this quarter. And I think that when you see how strong their auto business is, and they've always dominated auto, what you're going to say is, how did I bet against these guys, Mercedes? I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that auto is going to be a big driver in the second half. But I know people were like, wow, it was down. But they were very unapologetic about it. They said, look, it's down, but what do you see see next quarter? Yeah. Take take a listen to what Jensen
1: Wong said about being supply constrained
2: we um
0: are supply constrained our demand is greater than our supply we we expect to still be demand constrained uh, but our supply base is going to increase this quarter this next quarter and pretty substantially in the second half
1: and then as far as the arm deal we tried
2: right yeah yeah i did he had to, they took a billion dollar charge expenses now the main thing here is is that who is using their platform now, the platform is based on gaming. And remember, it's real-life gaming, and you don't need goggles. Keep that in mind. Who's using it? Disney and Facebook. They were mentioned as big customers. Now, let's go back to do Facebook. The metaverse that, that, that uh, Mark Zuckerberg currently outlined looks like a cartoon. It ain't no cartoon, it's you it's you in real life 3D on flat screen, which people again can't get their heads around. And the other thing is this Digital Twin, they they really push back on restaurants that are saying, we don't want to use that as the ordering. What, the, what they're using, Digital twins is people know, so you go through the drive-thru, they spot the license, the Digital Twin spots the license, yep. looks at what you ordered last time, and says, <laughs> would you like the same, Mick, whatever? And they're ready, and if you speak a different language, it speaks 28, Digital Twin speaks 28 languages, so we're ending that. You, you can save so much labor when the digital twin comes in, and the digital twin is smarter than you.
1: You know what? It reminds me of that scene in Minority Report <laughs> where Tom Cruise walks into the gap, and they say, "Welcome back, Mr. Hashimoto." How did those pants work out for you last yeah, time?
2: Yeah, well, this time they'll know that you looks like you've gained a little weight during the pandemic, and you go 34 instead of 32. I mean, Jensen, I, look, it is just beyond me. See, sometimes it's really hard. You're you're listening to someone who's so much smarter than everybody. Like you just say, "Listen, I want to be Elon Musk so I can understand what Jensen says." Jensen's very calm. He explains it, and you don't believe it until you see it. I mean, until I saw me as a digital twin, I thought that I would need goggles. You don't need no stinking goggles. Are, are,
1: are you a little frustrated by the characterization? It's now been several reports, earnings out of NVIDIA, that, oh, underwhelming relative to history, a victim of their own success. They didn't blow it away this time. Well,
2: there was a headline in the moment that the story broke. The moment that the numbers broke, there was a story that says, underwhelming numbers. And I'm like listening, I'm like thinking, What do you have to do to please this market? Every single line item, whether it be metaverse, whether it be gaming, whether it be high performance computing, they can't meet the demand of any of those. Uh, They're doing everything they can to meet the demand. There's no way. Edge computing, they dominate. When you speak to the only other real competitors, AMD, Pat Gelsinger, I'm sorry, but you're. No, no. In in data, in the high speed data, uh, I, I find that people misjudge Jensen. You literally have to hear the customers say, uh, my business is transformed by NVIDIA. And that's what you're going to hear in the March speech. So if you sell it now, be you're going to have to buy it back for the March speech, right. which is going to be an incredible and show.
1: You mentioned Disney. We never mentioned yesterday Disney
2: creating this new executive role, SVP of next generation storytelling. I think what you're going to see, big shock, second half, Disney will be second best in metaverse to Mark Zuckerberg. That's how big they're going to be. JPEC loves, he, at the CEO, he loves the omniverse. Remember, Jensen's omniverse. But this, this whole idea of Zuckerberg writing on this, remember, they're, they're agnostic. They're not saying, oh, I don't want Zuckerberg. Is going to blow people's minds. The, the idea that you're going to be looking at yourself and yourself is playing Rummy Cube with another dinner, sure. We're going to be playing Rummy Cube without even knowing it. We might not need this set. Our digital twins are going to have much better life than ours, believe <laughs> yes. me. We got a big morning on tap. Uh,
1: interviews with the CEOs of Cisco, of DoorDash, Devin and Compass, plus former Defense Secretary Mark Esper will talk some Russia-Ukraine tensions as futures again remain challenged. Uh, claims were up a tick, up 23K after three weeks of declines. Uh, we'll be back in a moment.
3: Every day.
1: Got some nice gains pre-market for DoorDash, the food delivery company reporting record high user numbers, revenue up 69 from the previous year, even as restaurants did reopen for dine-in service. Again, don't miss our interview with Tony Hsu coming up in the next hour. That all-time high on monthly actives, Jim, 25 million.
2: We're now, we're now being able to find out who during the pandemic actually advanced and then post switching to an epidemic advanced even further. And we really only have two. We have Airbnb, Brian Chesky, amazing interview, Deirdre. Uh, and we have Tony. And this interview is going to be amazing because you won't believe how much better this company is doing since it went epidemic. People love the product. But he's a dominant player. Of what, well, he's going to be worldwide, but in the United States. It's a remarkable story. It's just a great American story. And I don't know how to play it other than the fact that they've developed the third way. Remember when Howard Schultz talked about the third home uh, Starbucks. This is the third way to eat. And one of the things I love when I speak to him, he goes, you know, Jim, one of the biggest market is eating because you have to eat. <laughs> That's an infinite demand. Don't you love that? I mean, you, see, you know, he starts by saying that to me. He goes, Jim, never forget. There's tremendous demand. Just People have to eat. It's incredible. Now, I mean, it could be one of those yellow jacket situations. I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. But, uh, or Donner Party. There's yes. one. That, there's hey, a cookbook Table of for one. You. Yeah. Table of one.
1: To- actually, Tony did, did, did talk about uh, the strength of demand right now. Take a listen to this.
2: I think we've put to rest, I think, this question of, you know, what happens to demand as, you know, diners go back and eat inside restaurants. Well, I think clearly takeout and delivery, um, as shown by, you know, our performance, not just in the fourth quarter, but also in 2021, just... Um, in an aggregate is that they're complementary. You, you know it's very possible to eat inside of a restaurant and get delivery because we eat three times you know or, or more maybe um, per day and and that's over a hundred shopping moments um, per month. Right.
1: I, I want to ask you but you've got sure. some uni- unique insight because yes. of your restaurant work. Um, how do restaurants pay these fees when their margins are already under so much pressure from labor and food?
2: Okay this is something I've gone over with Tony endlessly I have no obviously I have no special deal Uh, they arguably take a huge part of our margin. But we can't live without them because when our restaurants were closed, the only business we had was through DoorDash. But they're not closed as much anymore. Okay, so here's what happens. And it really hurts our profitability twice. One is the fees are great. But second, the third way what people discovered is there's a bottle of wine for $25 or there's a glass of wine for $25. So what people are doing, it's about the liquor. People don't realize it's about the liquor when you go to a restaurant the markup is all liquor so what's really hurting restaurants is you've lost the single biggest margin the beer costs six cents you charge seven dollars so the choice is use doordash or go under but man the margins of the restaurant business are second yeah. rate because of doordash well now we know why uber went after drizzly absolutely now drizzly really good product uh, the problem with Drizzly is, Uber, is that every state and every county is different, so it's a very difficult product. Uh, I'm, my wife's involved in that business. It's really hard. But I will tell you that Tony figured it out, which is that people want to stay home, have that bottle of liquor, and not be broke as opposed to go out and go to some of the finest restaurants that you and I know and buy a bottle of liquor for $400 uh, or buy a glass for 50 that the bottle doesn't even cost 50 That's where you made yeah, your that's money. That's fascinating. We can't wait to talk to Tony. Oh, he's going to be so great.
1: Yeah, at the 10 a.m. hour. We'll get Cramer's Mad Dash countdown to the opening bell. Futures continue to get swung around here by various headlines regarding Ukraine. Don't go anywhere. Time for Cramer's Mad Dash. Let's get the opening bell this morning. I think you're watching some energy names.
2: Yes, and uh, it's quiz. What's the highest yielding stock in the? Devin,
1: episode? you've said this a couple yes, times now. Yes, and it's going
2: to be even larger when you hear him at 10:20 today. Rick Moncrief is a visionary. He's the first one to realize we got to stop spending like drunken sailors and we got to start returning capital to shareholders if they are going to like us. And then it turns out that he can also do better because he's got the best properties. He is so. Devin, which is the merger with WPX. Interesting, smaller company merged with larger companies and Rick emerges as the CEO, his vision is now being adopted by everybody, whether it be Conoco, whether it be Pioneer, whether it even, even be Diamondback, which was always supposed to be a willingly nilly grower under Stice, which isn't fair because Stice is a great, great leader. But look at this. This is about the new oil companies. Now, he hedged. He, oh, he hedged out so much of the upside, it could have been even greater. But what people have to know about this, this is the key number that you need to know. That's how much it costs him for a barrel of oil. So you can imagine what he's doing, what he can do. The dollar dividend coming up, you know, I'm worshipful of Rick Moncrief. He introduced me to Continental, said, listen, one day there's so much oil in this country, you won't believe it. I'm like, are you kidding me? He was the guy who told me that we were going to be energy independent one day. And that was in 2011. Wow.
1: Um, It kind of rhymes with what Marathon said last night, this balance between capital return. And Marathon's
2: really come around. Conoco could be a very inexpensive stock but the best of all my channel trust owns it proudly and I talk about it every day in my morning meeting at 1020, which is the same time as Rick Mon which uh, is that Rick has Rick has the best assets but you should talk to him about how much mon- more money how much less a lot less money and a lot more oil visionary
1: uh, that's coming up as well I've got a busy morning here along with the opening bell coming up in a few moments and Cisco's Chuck Robbins don't go anywhere. getting some comments from the president uh, speaking to reporters on the South Lawn this morning on his way uh, to an event in Cleveland, uh, telling reporters that he does believe that a, the likelihood of an invasion uh, by the Russians into Ukraine, uh, every indication is that they are prepared to go, uh, says he has no plans to call Putin at this time, uh, information about a false flag operation. And part of Russia
2: basically believes this will happen in a matter of days. Right. And again, I want to emphasize that uh, as terrible as this would be for, for the Ukrainian people, uh, there really is no battle. I mean, Ukraine has soldiers, but if they're already the Russians are already in. The militia is already in. So you, all you, have, you you can get to Kiev in 48 hours. I mean, this is not a big country, and the borders are very close. Uh, so, I mean, we have to understand that we could come in Monday and you're going to deal with the, after, with the impact and the aftermath, but it's really going to be felt far more, I mean, obviously, human rights, but it'll be felt by Germany far more than us. Yeah.
1: So we'll be talking about the impact of economic sanctions. How does Russia raise money right. now in various countries? Yes.
2: Uh, what the Chinese? Do the Chinese really want to be allied, given the fact that Europe, where they're trying to make so many inroads with with, uh, with, with the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, does, does Putin have any support worldwide? And it's not clear that it has any support. I mean, you, a, a nation unto itself, even a, a nation that is powerful, is not one that can risk doing what he's doing without without severe trouble for his own country.
1: Right. Uh, you can see what's happening to Brett as a result of all of these things. Uh, we're back to 44, 43. Uh, Brett not especially good today. Uh, meantime, at the big board this morning, it's VanEck celebrating the recent listing of the Vanek Digital India ETF. And at the NASDAQ, Septon, a provider of LiDAR-based technology, celebrating a recent listing uh, via SPAC.
2: Be this- very care- By the way, uh, LiDAR came up uh, on the, the call with Jensen uh, with, with NVIDIA, very positive. Speaking of very positive, I want to be sure people understand. I had said earlier that Doug McMillan has a history of being conservative. This, he's not being conservative. This is, he's making a strong case that this is maybe the most forward uh, opportunity for Walmart in a long time. Now, you could say, well, Jim, you're talking your book because you own it for your travel trust, and I will be talking about 1020. But as this day progresses, you get the sense that they are not going to sit there and take their low stock anymore. Uh, and that's very good. That's a new that's a new posture. Uh, the numbers are being great for Walmart. No one seems to care. I think they're going to care because the stock is low. And remember, it does have a twenty multiple, so it's not like it's sitting there with a with a six multiple like Macy's. I mean, come on, right?
1: Uh, we did get a 2% div hike out of them. Yeah. Uh, at least $10 billion added to the buyback. Right. And that's um,
2: uh, they what that last year, I think that they're talking about multiple revenue streams. And this, you know, we can't underestimate the advertising stream. It, hey, by the way, speaking of multiple uh, streams, Goldman Sachs yes. making a concerted case that they are not just capital markets. They have the steady secular growth stream that just like Morgan Stanley, and yet they sell at six times earnings. Morgan Stanley sells at double that. We had uh, Brian Wood and sells it 14 times earnings Bank of America. I think David Solomon's line in the sand, basically saying, listen, if we, this bank is two banks. One is the capital markets, and it's actually hurting uh, the, the overall story, which is ridiculous. Because the overall story is now doubling, you know, making the consumer bank three times bigger than it is now. The credit card, remember, they're going to get three million credit cards over the weekend from General Motors. They already have 10 million from Apple. You've got to start understanding that that business is a juggernaut. So I understand why David Solomon feels aggrieved about where his stock is. They're using the money that they could do to buy back to plow into the growth. The book value here is no longer in excess. I mean, the book value is like $270. Geez. <laughs> yeah. So I like Goldman.
1: We'll talk more about uh, Goldman in a moment, uh, presenting at Credit Suisse. But let's listen to the president. What he said a few moments ago. Right
3: now, it's very high. It's very high because they have not, they have not moved any of their troops out. They've moved more troops in. Number one, number two, we have reason to believe that they are engaged in a false flag operation They have an excuse to go in. Every indication we have because they're prepared to go into Ukraine, attack Ukraine. Number one. Number two, I've been waiting for a response from Putin for my letter, that my response to him. It comes to that Moscow embassy. Their faction are here. Not faction, they very tender here. I have not read it yet. I cannot comment on, you just you on it. Have it in any way? Is going to happen on, yes. Mean, not, I mean, I mean, I, my sense, this will happen within the next several days. What days are the things that thing? there any what? diplomatic paths still available? Yes, there time? is. There's a clear diplomatic path. So that's why I asked Senator, uh, Senator, uh, Secretary Blinken to go to the United Nations and make his statement today. He'll lay out what that path is. I've laid out a path to Putin as well uh, on, I think, Sunday. And so there is a path. There is a way through this. Are you going to call
1: Putin? Will you speak to Putin? You call Putin?
3: I'm not calling Putin. I have no plans to call Putin you right now. That he, that made a final decision.
1: As the president uh, talking briefly about uh, Ukraine on his way to Ohio. Meantime, some headlines out of, for example, IFX, that Russia proposes to work out a new security scheme. I assume you think there is a deal. You said there is a deal. Well, I mean, look,
2: there's two kinds of deals. There's the deal which just says, all right, we're not going to really fight them because they're almost at the border. So it's like this idea of a war with Ukraine is simply not substantial uh, because Ukraine, this is the Russian army, which is not the old Russian army of Afghanistan. It's a pretty good army. So, I mean, you have to start talking about not just strategy, but tactics. And the tactics are to be in Kiev in two days. So, I mean, we have to stop thinking, well, there's going to be a war. What it is going to be is there's going to be a surrender. And the surrender is logical. Now, yes, they may have blood. They may be drunk. There may be a limited skirmish. Uh, But they're not going to be able to fight Russia. This is about NATO. And someone's got to stand up and say, you know what? We're not going to join NATO. uh, And in return, please don't take us over. Now, in Finland in 1948, it was bloodless, and they installed a government in Finland that says, listen, we'll do exactly what Stalin wants. That could be no one wants Finland, but Finland's now logical versus invasion.
1: Right. Uh, just a, a government that he can
2: control yeah. by And boxes. by the way, the Finnish government was very uh, oftentimes sur- subverted, subversion versus Stalin. But it's either Finland or direct takeover. There's nothing else left in the playbook here. Yeah.
1: Well, again, uh, we'll wait for comments this morning in about half an hour from the U.N. Security Council meeting. And, by the way, a vice president, for what it's worth, is also going to a security conference in Munich, where she will meet with in Zelensky this weekend. In
2: Munich? Well, yes. oh, man, the optics of that. Yeah. Jeez. That's where we are.
1: As as a result, Jim, though, we
2: are opening down about 2.30. Well, look, I just want people to not panic. Uh, It's obviously terrible. The Russians are way off the reservation. I can't believe they're doing this. They did it, though, in Crimea, and we had to accept that. They needed the port. They don't need Kiev, but it doesn't matter. Stalin murdered millions there when he starved them. uh, So obviously the memories of that are still with us.
1: Want to bring in Cisco?
2: Why not? Because they're something that you can control. All right. (laughs) Cisco, and this is a CSCO kind, those who like restaurants, reporting strong quarter. Uh, This was they beat on the top and bottom line. I have to tell you, Carl, I thought this was the strongest quarter I've ever heard. And I I am so old that I remember when Mr. Mortridge ran the company. Hey, Chuck, welcome back. uh, And congratulations. Good quarter.
4: Hey, thank you, Jim. I am uh, incredibly proud of what our teams uh, have accomplished in a very challenging environment, inflationary environment, uh, with the component challenges that we face. But, uh, you know, the teams delivered a third consecutive quarter of over 30 percent product order growth, RPO at 30.5 that you pointed out earlier, uh, all-time backlog, uh, all-time high backlog at 14 billion, grew our web-scale cloud business orders by 70 percent. So it was a and enterprise grew 37, percent which is the fastest it's grown in 12 years. So it's a, uh, it was a, it was a pretty good performance by our teams.
2: Yeah, I absolutely love when you when the visit. When you talk about visibility. I mean, I remember when visibility was was 30 days at Cisco. Now I think it's <laughs> fair to say, you may even have visibility for 30 months. That's how strong this order flow is. Do you think that's too aggressive?
4: Well, Jim, I think if you go back. Uh, to our business model from years back. Uh, you know, we did a huge, perform- a huge percentage of our revenue. We actually took the order in the quarter that we recognized the revenue. And so this transformation that we embarked on, which has been incredibly complex for the last almost seven years, believe it or not, uh, has now resulted in, you know, uh, software and services revenue on the balance sheet of 30.5 billion, which is represented by the RPO. There's also $2 billion of software, over $2 billion sitting in our backlog that's associated with hardware that hasn't shipped yet. And so, uh, you know, this, this is why we did it, was to, uh, to give ourselves more visibility, more predictability, and it's been complicated, and it's hard for a lot of folks to understand exactly where we are, but uh, I think we're beginning to see the benefits of all that hard work.
2: And that's why the, the price range of is so low. One of the things I really appreciated was, because my travel trust owns it, was your buyback. You announced a big buyback. Interestingly enough, I thought that actually took off the absurdity uh, of, of buying Splunk, got that off the table. And, and I think a lot of us are very glad because that would be a major diversion for you, Chuck.
4: Yeah, Jim, we talked about, obviously we don't comment on rumors or speculation, but we're constantly assessing opportunities in the marketplace. And I said on the call, you know, for every one deal we do, we probably look at 15 different companies. And so we're constantly assessing uh, we look at strategic fit, we look at cultural fit, we look at financial and valuation fit, and we've always been very disciplined and we will continue to be very disciplined.
2: Chuck, I remember having dinner with you your, your first week, and I said, Chuck, why doesn't Cisco have any business with the big megatechs, with the alphabets? Why aren't you doing anything with the companies that have giant data centers? You didn't have any of that. Uh, if I read you correctly, I think you have all of it. <laughs>
4: Well, and when you asked me that question, I didn't have a great answer at the time either, did I? Uh, We uh, look. Our teams did a great job. They built. They. they, We worked on multi-year innovation to deliver these high-performance, low-power consumption, which is so important right now, platforms. And uh, so now we are doing very well. the The cloud players represent twenty-nine percent of our service provider business. And uh, grew 70% on orders again this quarter, 100% growth over trailing four quarters. So, I, I can't tell you how proud I am of what it, what the teams have done. They they stayed heads down for years, building technology that was deriving no revenue for us, and now we're seeing the benefit of that.
1: Hey Chuck, one of the line items uh, is hybrid work product, um, and you know it has implications for all of us who go into the office. Can you kind of characterize what those orders are looking like in terms of? Uh, how aggressive the customers want to be? Is there any sense that they're waiting to find out more or they're just piling in now?
4: Well, Carl, one of the things we said yesterday is that the, the category that we call hybrid work, we're going to change the name to collaboration because in reality, hybrid work and the technology required for hybrid work is a combination of next generation networking architectures, you know, new security architectures, treating the home like a small branch office, Uh, hybrid cloud, you know, all of these technologies. And so we felt like that category, which only contains our collaboration portfolio, wasn't representative of, of what hybrid work is. And I think when you look at the strength of our orders, I think that speaks to every customer is investing in modern infrastructure to support safety for their employees when they come back. We're seeing wireless densification, creating more capacity for wireless networks, which requires more switching infrastructure. Uh, Everybody's adding video units to conference rooms, which requires more high performance networking. They're adding security cameras. IOT is beginning to explode, building automation systems. So we just see this overall modernization of the technology infrastructure as companies prepare for their employees to return to the office.
2: You know, Chuck, it's funny. I thought that the most surprising thing, certainly versus the street, was that despite all the supply chain problems, your uh, operating margin was 34.3%. I was looking for 33. How were you able to expand your operating margins in this environment?
4: Well, Jim, you know, we we remain very disciplined from a spend perspective. At a time where our product orders are growing the way they are, uh, our teams really want more investment dollars, and we've been trying to stay disciplined because of the supply chain components issue that we face right now. And as Scott Heron said on our call, we had a positive um, product mix with that backlog. What we were able to ship when we try to square the sets to get our products built last quarter, we actually squared the sets on some higher margin stuff. This quarter we said we're gonna have probably slightly unfavorable mix. But uh, you know, it's in the rage of what we continue to try to drive and, and the teams have done a good job.
2: I, I know it's hard. Uh- For people to understand accounting of software and subscription, it's always bedeviled, whether it be Adobe, whether it be Salesforce. But what would be the real revenue number if you were able to take all the subscriptions business when you get it?
4: Well, that's a a very difficult question to answer, but here's the way I would explain it. We have 30.5 billion in RPO, which represents primarily services and software revenue that customers have committed to, but we're recognizing ratably over the next you know few years. Of that 16.3 billion we will recognize in the next 12 months. So park the 16.3. Go to the backlog, which is primarily hardware. There's 14 billion dollars of backlog. Most of our lead times are a year or less. So you could argue that we have visibility to over $30 billion of revenue that we'll recognize over the next four quarters. So that's the, that's the way to think about the level of visibility we have versus seven years ago.
2: Now, I also want to talk about when you actually want to get quoted from the comp school. This is the best demand environment across enterprise, carrier, and web scale. I want to talk about carrier because you know that carrier has yeah. been a real problem. We don't even discuss it as a problem anymore, Chuck. It's now the opportunity.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, it's been incredible for several quarters in a row. And it's not just the web scale cloud performance. It is the telco performance, our classic carrier communication service providers, as we call them. Uh, they're building out these 5G networks. They're modernizing their infrastructure. They're flattening their networks. They're b- trying to become more efficient. Uh, and they're in the first phases of this. We talked about for years, you know, I, I kept getting asked on the call, when are you going to see the benefit of 5G? When are you going to see the benefit of 5G? And much like the cloud uh, providers, I would say it's coming. It's coming. And uh, we're beginning to see the early, uh, early aspects of that. And I think the benefits of those providers building out high-end enterprise services on 5G is when we'll really see the network infrastructure upgrade begin.
1: Hey, Chuck, there was some discussion on the street yesterday. You need to talk about the explosion of technology in all, in all aspects of our life and the strain that that's going to put long-term on the labor force. Where are we going to find, by some estimates, 150 million tech workers mm. Mm. in the next uh, 15 years? Um, how is that playing out right now for you guys in terms of uh, competitiveness for workers, people hopping to the same job somewhere else for a 10 to 15 percent pay hike?
4: Yeah, Carl, it's a fantastic question and a, and a long discussion. I think that as a nation, we have to do several things. We have to we have to encourage. Uh, STEM education at much earlier ages, you know, we have a program called Network Academies that we have in high schools and community colleges where we're trying to get kids started in these technology areas. But we also need to fundamentally revamp our immigration programs. Uh, It's going to make us non-competitive as a country if we continue down the path we're going. So those are two things. And then to answer your specific question, uh, you know, we see um, higher attrition than we've seen historically. But as you know, two out of the last three years, we were rated the number one global workplace by Great Places to Work. And so that has a lot to do with it. Uh, But our attrition rate still remains lower than the IT industry, but it's certainly, uh, we're certainly experiencing wage inflation and we're seeing, uh, we're certainly seeing the opportunity for employees to move. It's, It's leading us to invest in other markets. We announced earlier this year we were opening a facility in Atlanta, which is a great source of talent from Georgia Tech and the HBCUs there. Uh, and we'll continue to spread our talent base across uh, the United States. All right, so, Chuck,
2: I want to be sure people know, I mean, I obviously own the stock, talk about a lot in the Travel Trust, talk about a 10-20 morning meeting. But I'm still not happy with security. I mean, I think security should be a big growth. I know it's built in. But when can security be a breakout? Because we're really talking about uh, a number that <clears> is that is not impressive, frankly. It's not impressive.
4: Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not incredibly pleased with security either, Jim, but I'll tell you, there's, there's a little bit behind that number and then I'll talk a little bit about the future. So uh, inside that number, the, the modern cloud security, the SaaS uh, properties within our security portfolio grew very well. We do have some supply chain constraints on our firewall business. However, that being said, the team has been working on an evolving strategy and I will tell you that over the next 12 to 18 months, you will see that number improve and the team's committed to it.
2: All right, one last uh, point. Uh, a lot of people heard of RPO, and you and I are big sports fans. That's not run, pass, option. That's <laughs> remaining <laughs> performance obligation. Anyway, I thought it was important to point out because you are not, you, you're is. neither the Falcons nor the Niners were in the Super Bowl, so we got to point that out. Anyway, Chuck, congratulations. This was the quarter that we've all been waiting for that you promised and you delivered. Chuck Robbins, CEO Cisco. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much.
1: Meantime, the stock's moving further in red here. Dow's down 300. Uh, S&P right here is not quite to yesterday's low, which was 44.29. And it is well above uh, the break-even for the week at uh, 44.01. Before we go to break, take a look at the bond report. We are going to get Bullard at 11 a.m. Mester at 5 o'clock tonight as we look for more Fed speak. In the meantime, more Squawk on the Street is back in a minute. Here's the S&P heat map this morning. Obviously, a sea of red as we are sitting just a point below yesterday's intraday low. We're going to watch some of these um, short-term levels pretty closely today. Quick reminder, you can get in on the CNBC Investing Club with Kramer anytime. Just sign up and find out more at cbc.com slash join the club or use the QR code on the screen. A lot of interesting stuff, especially coming up, it sounds like, at this 1020 meeting today. We'll be back in a moment.
2: It's... For Jim and Stop Trading. Carl, there's so much we weren't able to get to. Fastly reports, now it seems like this should be named Slowly. Okay. App and reports, it looks like it's App Hatin'. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about Alta Vista, also known as Alta Fox. Alta Vista being, of course, a, one of the earlier search engines. There's a, uh, re- a nomination of directors to Hasbro by an outfit called Alta Fox. Now, Brian Goldner was on, the late Brian Goldner was on Mad Money for years and years. He built this amazing company based on the cash cows of of Monopoly and Play-Doh and created this Wizards of the Coast. And then the CEO, new CEO, Mr. Cox, came from that division. And I think it's kind of tragic that within such a short period of time, uh, this, jeez, I don't know, brigand came in and said, look, it's really time to replace these, di- the directors are really excellent at Hasbro. I've studied the directors, the many, some of them have been on our shows, and uh, just be aware that the stock is up because of this, but it could be short-lived because I don't think that Alta Fox has a chance in the world. Right? I mean, because uh, this company's been a great performer.
1: Uh, it's, a bit of, it's getting an interesting, to be an interesting period for activism, Hasbro Icon McDonald's, maybe, no. uh,
2: what uh, what Einhorn uh, said to Amazon. our – Dan Loeb said about Amazon last night. Well, let's it, just go after – look, let's go after NVIDIA and AMD, the two best performers. Why not hit those? By the way, NVIDIA being down this – bin, obviously there's big sellers of NVIDIA. This is going to be an opportunity. I'm going to talk about that at my 10-20 meeting. I'm not saying – I'm not calling a bottom NVIDIA today. There's people who don't know what they're doing. But when this March thing comes around, when we see what Pfizer's doing, when we see what Disney's doing – when we see what Facebook, they probably won't be there doing. I think people recognize, wow, why did I sell that stuff? Why did I sell them?
1: Uh, we see the Dow down 425. It, um, it's been pointed out this it's morning, Jim. We don't have too many days where you get a nice, solid bond rally. They
2: got a no. 10-year, 197 no. One no, and nine I think, seven look, here. long weekend, people charting position right now, people listening to the president. Uh, but I urge people to recognize that there is a story after this, which has to do with Germany being short on energy. We can't supply it until four years from now. But our country will face with sanctions against Russia. Please, Russia, not a big economy. It's not like China. I wish that China would put the brakes on this, because if China's really in cahoots with Putin, their whole foreign relations policy of the last 10 years is being called into question. Yeah,
1: well, Macron did suggest maybe she would have interest in coming in to help
2: Stabilize somehow. I hate to say this, this, but kind of counting on she to say, hey, listen, don't be an outlaw. It doesn't work. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.